This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, Kentucky gets another win. Uh, It's another winning streak, which haven't had many of those this season. Wasn't pretty, but they're finding a way to win games that they were losing just a week or so ago. It was was pretty until about... It's pretty for what the first five minutes we'd say. Kentucky got up twenty-five to eight. Offense was humming along pretty well, and then you're right. It uh, really became a grind after that. But um, don't want to spend the whole episode talking about this. But honestly, I thought they overcame some adversity because like I thought they got a pretty tough whistle at the end of the game. And I'm not someone who usually. I mean, I'll complain about college officials if you followed me on Twitter for long enough. I mean, it's I've been beating that drum for a long time though. Um, but the dunk on Keon was – the charge was ridiculous, just an utterly ridiculous call in a college basketball game. That official should be ashamed that he made that kind of call in a game like that. Um, blatantly missed a double dribble, which led to points for Vanderbilt. And I think there was something else that happened um, that I thought kind of went against UK there at the end. But we know Vanderbilt's not a great team, but they were playing with confidence there in the second half. They'd gotten back into it for Kentucky to survive – when we're looking for little things of growth with this team, Sean, I think that was I think that was definitely something last night that they can build on. Yeah, there was a foul on Jacob Toppin there at the end too that I didn't think was. Oh yeah, he was fell on him or whatever, ball. and they called it. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I thought that the dude already fallen to the ground and walked. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, adversity hit, and they found a way to get a win. I mean, 24 of 25 at the free throw line. You can't unbelievable. You much better than that, right? 25 of 25 is the best you can do. That's actually a school record when it comes to yeah. on, on the road in the SEC. Well, what's crazy is like the narrative under like with Cal very early. I mean, it, that was pretty much what cost him a title at Memphis. So at least that was a thought was free throw shooting. And I saw someone tweeted it out last night. I think the last three years here at Kentucky have been the highest percentage from free, from the free throw line uh, in his time at UK. So last night was was tremendous. Twenty four. I mean, they needed all those too. That was a thing. Those were clutch free throws. I don't know how many they hit in the final minute, but uh, I know we'll talk about them later. But Jacob Toppin, I mean, he was barely even hitting the net on those free throws. Man, he was just stepping up and absolutely drilling them. So that was huge. Ninety six percent. I mean, that, yeah, that's certainly better than you can ask for. And it's weird because they've had some games where it wasn't. You know, I think they've had games where they went what like sixteen for twenty five, things like that, where it wasn't so good. So that was that was huge last night. Staying on that topic of Jacob Toppin, has anyone got more out of this season than Jacob Toppin? I mean, Isaiah Jackson's put himself in a position that I think he's probably going to go in the lottery when mm-hmm. it comes down to however they finish the season and then when it comes to workouts before the draft. But just talking overall what was expected, this is a kid, Derek, that transferred in who had no intentions of even getting on the floor this year. He thought he was going to have to sit out. And then what, maybe three to four weeks before the season starts, he gets his waiver that he's eligible. Then I don't think at any point did Jacob Toppin think that he was going to be a vital part of the rotation. I don't think Cal thought it. I don't think we thought it. And now he's probably one of their top four most important guys on the team, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, that was (laughs) – there's something about him, man. I made some – I wouldn't call him jokes. Like I, I think I said it on here. Like he just he kind of made me laugh watching him play at times this year because it's almost like I think compared to like kind of like a college development guy at times just because like he would do something per game that would just kind of like I don't know kind of intrigue you. I think it was against North Carolina. He went in and like tried to dunk one and just kind of threw it off the <laughs> threw it off the rim or whatever. But he like last night watching him play. I mean you can just tell the growth 
in his game. I mean, he, he fit in great. I mean, he scored 16 in 22 minutes. And that's a guy who none of us like, categorized as a score. He was efficient, five for nine. Of course, he got to the line, made the five free throws. And they're calling um, his number. They're calling yeah. his number and running pin down action for him. Like that's he is very good coming off those screens. He's yeah. he's really good. He curled off one. Uh, then I think I'm wanting to think Derek that that might be the set that they were running that they got four baskets off of. Because I know they scored off of that three times that I know of for sure, but I want to think there was another one that they got somebody else that it wasn't topping. Uh, also, they, I know they've been doing – they've been hammering the high-low stuff in practice the last few weeks. That's evident. I put that clip up on Twitter this morning that there were they did an excellent job clearing out the weak side a couple times and then hitting Olivier Saar, and then Isaiah Jackson had one too. But calling pin downs, like ISO pin downs, like they're spacing it out – for Jacob Toppin to kind of get into a two-man game to where if somebody overhelps, they're throwing a lob to Jackson or Saar. I never, ever thought at any point that they would be running stuff for Jacob Toppin. I mean, well, when it was a four-point game, he curled off of it and got the and one. You think about – I'm just looking at his stat line. He, there's there's a lot to like about this kid, honestly. Like, I think yeah. you could see him. I don't know that he's ever going to be the a star, like, in terms of pure talent like we're used to watching at Kentucky, but in terms of being a role, like I don't know if Jacob will even be a starter at Kentucky at any point in his career. I mean, maybe. Um, if he hangs around long enough, maybe. But I, I, there's something about him, his stat line. Like, he's had games this year where, you know, he's flashed. Louisville, 10 points uh, in 25 minutes, 5-7 from the floor. Arkansas, 3-5 of from the floor, 9 points. He scored 10 at Auburn. In 22 minutes, and then last night in 22 minutes, he well actually he's credited with 23 here on the UK side, but you know not a big difference. 16 points. Now he'll have games where he doesn't score very much at all, and that's not really it's really not honest. That's why he's not on the floor anyway. I mean he's in there for his kind of his versatility on the defensive end, and uh, should be a pretty good rebounder. But I, I think his future, especially next year, like I think you could see him being a what, what do you think, Sean? A eight to ten point game per night kind of guy, or more than that, or Less than that, five point three now for this season. Somebody asked me last night what I think that his his potential will be, you know, long term. Is he a first round pick? Is he a lottery pick? Derek, I actually think that I don't know though. Given the age and everything, I mean, who, how long is he going to be in college? I don't know. I, I would say that the best version of Jacob Toppin will fall somewhere between ten to thirteen. I just think that that's what he has potential to be. I really do. Um, I don't know about the starting, though. I really don't. Uh, next year's team, when you look at it, who knows how it shakes out with Keon Brooks, Oscar, and those guys. But you're talking about a guy that if he's there, let's say, two more years, then maybe, like two years from now, could he work his way into the starting lineup? And that, that's that's another topic that I want to get into. I'm concerned. I, I texted you early this morning. You knew I hadn't really been to bed because I would literally texted you at 3 a.m. and I was back texting you again at 8 a.m. about the program. I watched the game three times last night and was pulling apart some video. And then in the middle of that, I started thinking, you know, here's Dante Allen and Lance Ware who have played five minutes last night. Minutes have kind of gone away for both those guys. I'm worried about it, Derek, because I, I do think that one guy's going to leave. I just I have a gut feeling that just one situation, I just don't know if they're going to see a spot at Kentucky beyond the next couple of months. But then – I feel like it's very important. Like, let's just throw it out there. I'm I'm concerned about Dante Allen long term at Kentucky. Uh, just from conversations that I've had and some things that I've seen too, I, I'm a little worried about it. But I'm also worried about Lance Ware and how he sees himself. Derek, I think that it's vital that if they're struggling the way that they have this year, which is seven wins, the one thing that we kept talking about was what a lot of these guys coming back, and not just for one more year, but. They need a group. They need a they need a nucleus out of this group to kind of become three year guys. If you really want the program to get out of this rut that it's been in, with losing ninety five percent of people, because what changes if a couple of these guys or four of these guys comes back and then they have ninety five percent turnover again after next year? If some right. of those freshmen are good, that's that's the thing. They need the Lance Wares to be juniors. They need the Dante Allens to be juniors. The Devin Askews. Bryce Hopkins in next year's class kind of fits that mold. How do you how do you get out of that though? Because it seemed like at one point that Cal 
didn't have anything to worry about because everybody was playing a chunk of minutes, but now the rotation is kind of it's gotten smaller. B.J. Boston started hitting shots. Jacob Toppin playing the way he is. We're actually to a point that who does Dante Allen play over though? I mean, it's not. I mean, who, whose minutes do you want to take? Yeah. No, I think you bring up good points. And when you, to me, when I think about, and it's really hard to do at Kentucky. It's not like a lot of schools where you can just pencil a freshman in for their, you know, to be an upperclassman. When I think about the 2023 team, like, I think you would hope that on paper you would have Devin Askew, Jacob Toppin, Lance Ware, Dante Allen, Bryce Hopkins, probably even Nolan Hickman, honestly, until we see what he can do. True. Um, I freak. I don't think I'm. I mean, maybe even Sheboy. Like maybe I don't. Like, I don't know what kind of what his aspirations are going to be. I mean, he had some hype. I mean, maybe he's just looking for one more good year and he can go. But basically, like you're still looking at one to avoid, like what you're saying, another big year if if there's a lot of turnover. Maybe even they add another point guard or shooting guard or something in this year's class from the high school ranks. That might be on next year's team, but. Yeah, you're right. I mean, with Dante, that's kind of where I am too. Is it's not? I got kind of noticed last night. I think I texted you whenever I realized he hadn't even been in yet, him or where. But yeah, BJ's hitting shots, and the way Toppin's playing, I mean, Mintz is playing good ball, and like the one guy who could probably stand to not play as many minutes is Askew, but it's just hard because there's really no one else. I think they really like Mintz in that off ball. Uh, I think they think it's better for the offense with him doing that. And that's why they've done it so much. It is. So Askew's the one guy that he's probably – I would say Askew has – put it this way. It's benefited Askew because he's really not had anybody else to kind of take it from him. No. But at the same time, you hope that because he's been forced to play so many minutes that that will pay off for him next year and also for the program down the road. So I, while it's tough right now, I think it could still be a good thing later. I made a comment in January that – had Kentucky not started one and six, Jacob Toppin probably wouldn't have even been playing. And now look what look what it's got you. Like Jacob yeah. Toppin is playing, and now you know that he's capable. And there's he, he's kind of in that mold of you know breakout players, surprise players in the SEC this year. I mean, nobody saw anything coming from him. Well, he's a six nine guy who is pretty athletic. I mean, very athletic. Um, you could see him becoming a good defender. Like I think a lot of it for him is just that jump shot, which we saw last night. He's, he's been more. pretty consistent from the mid range, but yeah. yeah, he's so he hadn't really attempted many threes at all this season. Then he went two for two against Arkansas, which one was a bank shot, uh, and then last night he took two, and he made one as a big shot too late in the game in the corner, a big three. I, I'd like to see him shooting some more outside shots next year, especially because I think I don't know. Do you view him as a three or a four, or does it matter? Because I think Cal views him as a three, and I, I, I just feel like if he's going to be your three, you need to see some more three-point attempts from a guy like that. I view him as a – in my mind, he needs to become if, – if he wants to play in the NBA, he needs to be a stretch four. Yeah. At, at six nine, with his athleticism, that's what he needs to be. And that's where I think that corner three and stuff, yeah. that's where he needs to build. Kind of the way Patrick Patter, Patrick Patterson had a completely different build than Jacob Toppin, but what made Patrick, Patrick Patterson a solid NBA player? He was able to hit the corner three for mm-hmm. 10 years. That's what Jacob Toppin needs to do with this athleticism. But what makes him so valuable, Derek, is there's a case to be made that he's Kentucky's best defender outside of Isaiah Jackson because of his versatility. How many times have we seen this? It's now twice against Vandy that he's guarded Scottie Pippen Jr. And they're able to switch onto bigs when they get in ball screen action. He can switch and it doesn't hurt you because he's six foot nine. Uh, that's the value of Jacob Toppin. That's what I'm talking about. And I said it months ago. I thought he was the most important piece to the U.K. basketball program. And it probably sounded nuts when I said it in December. But now you start to look at it and think, okay, this kid is kind of what you want to build around. He's not an NBA dude. He's not a top 10 pick he's not uh who you have coming like he's he's not Damian Collins you know he's not a five-star kid just going off of that or an Oscar Sheboy but what he is is he's an experienced college basketball player that just continues to get better and maybe just maybe though Derek has the highest ceiling of anyone on the team yeah I don't I don't think that's crazy I mean I well where does it gotta out is the thing we don't know like where, where does his ceiling yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing. Like some other guys that come in, you can say, okay, wow, that ceiling's high. 
But this is probably the most unknown kid that Kentucky's had, really. Like, you can see him being a star. You could also see him being a very good role player. The only thing that I can't see is him just being a bust. I see him being one of the other two, which is so different. I was going to say, even if, like, this is who he is the rest of his career, just every now and then has a big game, like, I still think he's a valuable piece to a team for sure. Yeah. So, like, if this is the floor for Jacob Toppin, I think he, that's still that's still someone who's going to get minutes the rest of the time he's at UK. Like, I don't see a guy like that falling out of the rotation. Um, it's interesting to me, especially if Keon comes back. I mean, you have Keon, Collins, and Sheba, you would think, would be the three guys getting the most minutes in the front court. And Cal's used topping a lot with Keon on the floor. And we keep talking about this kind of a, as of now, like kind of a hole at the three spot next year. I mean, unless he's going to play Keon there, I guess. Could Toppin be their sixth man next year? Seventh, maybe, if Mintz comes back? Or maybe Mintz, I don't know. It's probably still way too early to even say that. But like, I don't see Toppin being any lower than their seventh man next year, do you? I don't. I, I honestly don't. Uh, just given the things that I talked about a second ago with his versatility. I mean, the way he impacts the game, and this is what I think becomes your most valuable pieces, that if you have these guys, or at least one, you want at least two of them on each roster, who can impact the game without having to score points. Like, how has Jacob Toppin got on the floor this year? It's not been because of his made baskets. It's been because of his energy. It's been because of his ability to rebound. It's his ability to defend and be versatile one through four, probably even one through five at times, given his athleticism and his six nine, you know, stature. Those are the guys, Derek, that they've had over the years that look at DeAndre Liggins. What what was his, you know, kind of pedigree at Kentucky? It was defense and energy. Uh go a step further, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, what was his biggest impact at Kentucky? Just his motor and just his ability to do those things. Now he's not of the level of that, like I don't think Jacob Toppin's ever going to be the number two pick in the NBA draft. But just as as far as ways to impact the game, I think that he has the potential to kind of have his hands in a number of different baskets, more so than a lot of guys on this team where they're limited to they do one to two things very well. I think this kid kind of does four or five things very well, but on top of that, he's probably their hardest worker right now. It makes you think, like, and I know every case is different. I think Jacob, you could see a true kind of late bloomer with him. And, of course, his brother was the same way. And I know he probably, no one ever talks about him without having talked about his brother. So I'm sure that gets annoying for him. But, like, it makes you think, why well, UK, should they just target a guy like that every single year? Can you find a, a young player at a A-10 program, a Big East program, something like that, and, and try to develop them every single year? Like, I, I don't know if it's going to be as appealing. Well, Every kid. I'll but, say this. They, they've done a very good job, Derek, with what they identified to kind of fill this class out or fill out this roster. It, it's honestly – it's it's a shame that it didn't work out for the last three months with Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston being the superstars that we thought they were going to be preseason because Davion Mintz was a really good find. Jacob Toppin, a really good find. Olivier Saar hasn't lived up to it, but you're starting to see – they're using him in different ways now, and I think that they're finally putting him in situations that he could be very successful. But I like it. I, th- I think that that's – is that the new model of college basketball now? If you're not going to get the dudes that are going to be number one, number two, number three on the NBA draft board, if you're wanting to have stability to your program, do you find kids like this? Like Jacob Toppin is just a completely different story because he, he was a true transfer. They don't get yeah. that often at Kentucky. Especially from Rhode Island. Yeah, and, I and mean, now uh, look what you're doing and, with Oscar. You didn't have huge numbers either. Yeah. yeah, and then now look what you're adding that with Oscar. Like that—that's the stuff that I—that you know we've talked back and forth about whether we feel that this team can get back to elite status next year and contend for a title. If Jacob Toppins that and just keeps getting better, it—I it, think it certainly changes the way I view it because you'd, you'd have a roster that would have him, Oscar Shoeboy, Keon Brooks who. Another guy, Derek, who is starting, like, Keon Brooks couldn't get on the floor last year for a long, significant amount of time because he couldn't impact the game in a number of different ways. He didn't score the ball last night, but what did he do? He rebounded. He he passed the ball. He defended. All those things. 
I really like the, the the core that they have right now out of guys that can impact the game in more ways than one. I think that's the biggest thing moving forward. Now what you need is you need stars. Yeah. And you need them in the backcourt. You need a guy who can go get you 21 or 22 on any given night and just create plays. That's the biggest question mark about the roster moving forward, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough to find next year, honestly. I mean, I'd like to see Clark come back. Everybody I talk to, and I know we just talked about this yesterday or the day before, but it doesn't sound very likely. But if anyone was going to make sense to come back, it would be him. Just uh, it was like too good of a player to get picked very low or not get picked at all and just have to grind his way. But, hey, we've seen guys make it. I mean, yeah. there's no one path to getting in the air. I just think uh, with, with what would be – available to him in terms of minutes like it would it would make a lot of sense um but no i i think uh i thought last night was was good maybe this team is just it felt like it shouldn't have been that close i mean especially jumping out to 17 point lead early in the game i mean you you feel like they were in a on pace for a pretty good game, but then they hit that same lull, Sean, that they hit every game. Or I think they went close to five minutes, so they didn't score from the field or score at all. I think actually didn't even get to the free throw line. Um, got to cut that out. I'm not, I'm not sure if it'll happen at this point because it's been a pretty consistent thing all year. But they got back to 80 points again. Was it how many yeah. games in a row now? Is that three? Four, I think. Right? Did they get, okay. Did they get to 80 against Tennessee? They got to 71, I think. That's right. Yeah. I think that's 80. So that's three straight then. Uh, Arkansas, Auburn, then last night. It, it's kind of weird that they've been right around that 81, 82 point mark, too, the entire time. Uh, they lost all two great games that they got called for <laughs> three point fouls at the end of the game, too. Keon, and then I think it was Davion last night. Yeah. So, so that allowed the, both those teams to get the 80 on them. Um, here, and here's the big thing with them winning is they're they're climbing up the board when it comes to the SEC tournament seeding. Now they're they're an eight seed playing Georgia the first day. The winner advances to play Alabama. Yeah. Um, they're only six seed. What do they need for them to win the SEC tournament? I think they need to get to the six. If they get to the six, I start to think that they're playing on championship Sunday because I, right now if they get to the six, they'd be playing South Carolina and then LSU and then either Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi State to get to the championship game. I like that run. Yeah, if they I can do get too. to the six. Uh, they're not far from it either. Like, that's the thing. Like, Tennessee helped themselves last night with a win. But I think getting to that five spot is honestly doable. I really do. But it all depends on if do they go still one in Knoxville Saturday. If they win that one, then I start to think, okay, they can do it. But then again, you have to look at this. Obviously, the Texas A&M game might be in jeopardy, considering that the the broadcast crew last night said it, which if they're saying it, Derek, which tells me the SEC saying it, and it's kind of floating out there, um, are those games made up? R- right now, I mean, I think it matters for this team. They need to play all the games they can. If I'm Cal, I try to find a way to play Detroit or somebody, just to try to make up one of those games. Because I think that this is a team that kind of needs – they need to play every game that they have on the schedule remaining, especially now that they're hitting their stride. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Um, it's hard to believe there's only four games left in this season. I mean, it's been a long year in some regards, but at the same time, you're starting to see this team, I think, certainly play play better. I mean, even in some of these losses here lately, they had runs during that game where you thought they would win and came up a little bit short. and. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I thought there were some really enjoyable times last night watching them, and then they had their same problems that they've had a lot. Um, probably lost in what we've talked about is, is because he was pretty much spent a lot of the game on the bench, actually. But Isaiah Jackson had a huge first half yeah. with 15 points, and he had seven rebounds, I think, in the first half. And he ended up – he didn't score in the second half, and he only grabbed two rebounds, but he also – I mean, he did that in 20 minutes. So he – he had a tough time. There was a weird thing with the broadcast that they weren't sure how many fouls he actually had. But the official book never changed, so he had four. Pretty from what was that like the ten minute mark on? I think yeah. where he had. I mean, it was tough to keep him on the floor, but that's that's on the heels of an eighteen and eleven game. I mean, he's. I think he's starting to. He he's the one guy on this team 
I don't know fans. Some some fans love the NBA. Some fans don't like hearing about it at all. Like he he can leave, and I don't think he's making a bad decision at all. I, I just think three years from down the league, he is he he could be very very good. Yeah, yeah, I think at that level, everything he can do, whenever as he continues to get a little bit older, basically, I don't think his path to being on a roster is going to be as difficult as BJ Boston's or Terrence Clark's. Terrence Clark, if they decide to leave, a Keon, anybody else who's even thinking about it, like I think Isaiah. Depending on where he goes, I mean, if he has to spend any time in the G League, I don't think it'll be very long because a guy who rebounds like that, who can block shots, that's going to help a team probably. And as he develops his offensive game, you know, moving away from the rim, I think he's got a decent shot for him, honestly. Like, I don't think he looks like he is just lost on offense, but it's going to take some – he's probably, what, 19 years old? I mean, you see this guy six years in the league when he's 25. I mean, he could be one of those guys that we're talking about having great success from Kentucky and if you're really looking for a silver lining too I think with Jackson as opposed to what's tougher I think with Clark and Boston is there there are no like surefire replacements next year for Boston or Clark whereas you probably think Damian Collins will be able to provide a lot of what Isaiah Jackson has done this season that's a very good point that's a very good point honestly and that's the position or that's the area of the floor where you also have Oscar Shubway in the post. You have Biggs, you have Keon Brooks, who you're kind of identifying as coming back next year. So there's bodies there, Jacob Toppin in that mix. There's going to be – that's going to be the area of the, of the floor where I think it's crowded, where there's going to be the biggest competition to get on the floor will be there. Uh, we also – we haven't mentioned Cameron Fletcher and exactly what happens with that situation. I mean, obviously, if you're – if I'm guessing – I'm going to say that Kentucky will lose – I'm just throwing this out there. I think they're going to lose two guys to transfer at the end of the year at tops. I don't think it will go beyond two. I think it could be as as few as one, but I'm going to put it confidently. I have a gut feeling, Derek, they're going to lose two guys to transfer. Yeah, then you start talking about the turnover. Like, Let's say those three guys we are just talking about do leave for the NBA. Star, I don't think, has any plans to return. Well, that's four. Just from and then you add in two, it's still almost half your roster, right? Yeah, that's that's gonna be gone. I mean, I just think that's that's tough. And you know, with the transfer portal, it's not it's not always easiest to see as to maybe what some of the plans might be because you can leave room open, you know, to sign guys from the transfer portal. But I would say UK has not recruited this class like they expected to lose a ton of kids, like we've seen in some years. Uh, and of course, there's still a spring signing period. But even when you think about the targets, like Trevor kills. Isn't he, like, the only high school target they're even on now? I'm afraid. Well, I mean, like, you know, Hunter Sells and Hardy, guys that seem like they probably won't get. So even then, it seems like if they're going to keep adding to the roster, it's going to be from the portal yeah. um, in the offseason. But I don't know. How would, how would you feel about that, having six guys still leave the program after a – let's let's throw an arbitrary. I'd say they win 12 games this year. Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely not encouraging considering that it's – one of the worst seasons they've ever had in program history. But I think I think it's something that two years from now I'd want to look back on and see how I view it. How many yes. of these guys are how many of these guys are still on the roster as juniors? Or on the twenty two team? Like that I think that's how you kind of look back and like this season, however it ends, like if it ends with a loss in the SEC tournament or if it ends with a loss in the first round of the NCAA tournament if they find a way to get in or at any point. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to finally decide how I feel about it until we see how it all plays out three or four years from now. You know, does it change the direction of the program? Is it is the program better be, having that they struggled? Because that's the thing. Like, fans have always been calling for you want three- or four-year guys. Well, this might be what you have to kind of go through to get to that point. I mean – Think back to, I mean, any any team that you look at that kind of turns the corner at some point. How do they how do they build a, a team, Derek? Like Tennessee, Rick Barnes, those first couple years they weren't very good. But then when Schofield and all those guys get to be juniors and seniors, what happens? I mean, then the program and now look at it. So uh, now I'm not saying you you don't ever want to compare the Kentucky basketball program and the Tennessee basketball program, but I'm talking about when it comes to changing your program. Cal changed it the year after Billy Gillespie got fired because he went and got John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Patrick Patterson returned. All these guys, that that 
this is the only sport that I think that you do that in. But we're talking about changing this program and it being different than what it was in 2010. It's still Kentucky basketball, but I think in today's climate with college basketball and the way the model is, you've got to have juniors and seniors now, in my opinion. I just think that you're to that point. The G League is now, not only are you competing with Duke and all these other schools for elite kids, you're also competing with the G League. That has changed the game, in my opinion. And what the G League's doing right now on national TV, where they're promoting that team, that has changed it even more to me. When you see what Jalen Green and these guys are doing in, the, in that league, I think it's it's going to become to a point now, Derek, where it's vital that you have juniors and seniors, and you have, and it's a, it's a different mindset. Like it's not just any. That's the other challenge. You're in a, you're at a point where what kid wants to go to college for three or four years that thinks they're going to get to the NBA? What kid's okay with that? It was okay in the '90s. It's not okay now for a lot of kids. A lot of kids think, oh, you know what? If I'm not a one and done or not a two and done. Like Ashton Hagen should be on this team right now. Like that, EJ Montgomery. Like, and that's what we're going to get into next. But at what point? And and maybe then is are you able to target kids that know that though? Because you don't want to go into someone's living room and kind of cap off their potential. You don't want to go in and say, "I think that you're going to be here three or four years," because you know the other coach that's coming in saying, "I think I can get you out of here in one to two. So that's the other challenge with it. But you also, it's a fine line because you, I, I just think, and how, how does that impact, too, that you're not able to go out and see these kids face-to-face right now and kind of get a body language reaction and read on some of these kids that, you know, you could kind of target and say, look, I think you could, like, look, Tyler Hero was supposed to be at Kentucky three years, Derek. Shea Alexander, Kentucky, three years. They're two, two like, solid NBA players that are butting into stars. Like, that's the crazy thing about it. Like, as bad as it's been, you also have those stories. Emmanuel Quickly. I mean, who? when Emmanuel Quickly started last season, I thought Emmanuel Quickly was going to be a senior at Kentucky at some point. Yeah. Nick Richards. I Nick mean, Richards. I mean, so for all the bad, you had a lot of good on that end, too. So it kind of it, it evens out. But what you can't do at some point, and hopefully this is the point that they're at, that there's no longer 80 to 90% turnover. If you can get it, like you've mentioned, you know, like 50%, I think 50% is doable, honestly. As long as you have maybe 20% of that 50% be long-term pieces, like three to four years. And I do think this team, more than really any of the others, is set up to have more guys come back if they're patient. I mean, like Toppin, Toppin and ask you, I don't, I don't think either of those guys plan to go anywhere. Um, Mance, you could benefit just because of the pandemic year. You could hand back for another year. Like Keon's going to be the tricky one. And again, I've not, I don't, I have no idea what Keon's plans are. He's not a guy that's ever struck me as someone who was trying to get out as quick as he could. And I don't know how much his injury this year will play into things, but like he's the guy you pinpoint and say, like, could he become a professional basketball player? I think so. I think he would have a tough grind to get there if he left after this year. But for Kentucky, I think to take a step next year and, and maybe work their way into being a title contender, like you need Keon on that team. I think he would be a really tough loss. A guy who's not on any mock drafts who you can just tell this time next year could be an absolute force. Yeah. Maybe the team's best player next year at this time. So let's 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 segue that into some numbers that I pulled up today, and Keon fits right into this discussion. Um, and I sent these to you. Yeah, I sent these to you earlier. I'm gonna pull them up on our text. So what I was doing, I was writing a story today on catsballs.com about what we've been talking about. Really, just this year's been tough, but but perhaps the benefit will be that a, that a core has been built out of it, and, and maybe next year you're back to a spot where things are interesting again. And we've, we've kind of hit all or hit all around it on this uh, on this podcast, but just kind of the climate back when Cal got here versus the climate in college basketball now. I pulled up numbers for for guys, and I was doing this basically for Keon Brooks and Davion Mintz, but players who averaged double figures at Kentucky for one season and then came back. The next year, it is very rare that this happens. To be quite frank, and that's that makes sense. I mean, a lot of times you've had guys like John Wall, Anthony Davis, Carl Towns, and you know, all these guys who average double figures or whatever, 
um, great players who go to the NBA. It makes a lot of sense. But there have only been seven guys, Sean, seven players. And was this year 12 for Cal, I think? It is, yeah. Year 12. So seven guys who averaged double figures and came back. And I'll go ahead and run those down since it's not very many. Three of them came from one team, and it was very early in Cal's uh, tenure. It was Terrence Jones in 2011, and then also Deron Lamb and Darius Miller on that Final Four team. All three of those guys averaged double figures. And Terrence Jones, far and away, had the best freshman season for a player who decided to come back. He averaged 15 per game um, as a freshman. We were talking about this before we got on here. Uh, a projected first-rounder, we, th- we we believe that's how we remembered it anyway. A guy who wanted to be a lottery pick wasn't, came back, uh, helped Kentucky win a national title. Did he go in the lottery? I really don't remember when he got picked. He, I know it was a first-rounder. but I, I, I think maybe he – it seems like he was in that 14 to 16 range. Yeah, he was he was close. If he was – basically it did not hurt his stock. I'm not sure that it dramatically improved it going back to the U.K. for his sophomore year, but obviously it was huge for the program. I mean, they won the national title. He had a great season. But, yeah, Jones, Lamb, Miller of 2011 team. And then in 2013, Alex Poitras averaged 11 points per game. He came back. Um, and then the Harrison twins, both in 2014, averaged double figures. And from 2014 to 2018, he had nobody. P.J. Washington is the last guy at U.K. He averaged 10 points per game in 2018. They've not had anyone since then who averaged double figures return. So how does that apply to next year's team? Well, there's a decent chance if Mintz comes back. I mean, he's not turned. He's not said no. I think he probably will come back. If Brooks comes back as well, it's two guys. And... That, that's a start, isn't it, Sean? I mean, compared to most years, like, that's a start. You're going to have two guys who have played a lot of college basketball who can score a little bit. But I won't read off every single player on the other list, but compared to the seven guys who did average double figures and wanted to go back to college, you had 11 players um, who did not average double figures and still left early for the NBA. And, again, there are some caveats on that list. I mean, you had a guy like 2015 had four, which is – you know, in normal circumstances, these players probably would have had better numbers had they not been playing with nine draft picks or whatever. Yeah. Like Willie Cauley Stein still in the NBA, Trey Lyle still in the NBA. Like, no one's saying that those guys made wrong decisions to leave. But then you also had the Isaac Humphreys of the world. You had EJ last year. You had Daniel Wharton, who averaged three points per game in 2010. Like, those, to me, that's a scenario you want to avoid this year. Like, you don't want to lose. Who's a guy? I don't, I don't know on this year's team. Really, this team, you're, you're. I think you're more worried about transfers versus odd NBA decisions. I would say. So those are just some numbers I pulled up today and threw out there. And you know, it's that that list I just mentioned with the eleven does not even take into account guys who transferred. Charles Matthews, who turned out to be a very good college player. I know some people get pissed when you talk about Johnny Juzang and Jamal Baker. Those are just names I'm throwing out. Um, Wiltshire was interesting, obviously. I don't know. I don't think Kentucky was devastated by Kyle Wiltshire leaving. I'm not sure he would have played very much on the on the team the next few years, but he was obviously a, a very productive college player at Gonzaga and was, you know, a big piece of Kentucky's title team. So, I mean, I think he uh, overall had a pretty successful U.K. career. But just the team building's tough, and I guess what I wanted to get at was just the climate, Sean. I mean, could you imagine a guy like Terrence Jones in today's college basketball <laughs> averaging 15 points per game at UK and deciding to come back for another year? And a projected first-rounder still deciding to come back for another year? No. Not not in today's climate. There's there's no way when you, when you look at it. Like, when you sent that list to me, I didn't realize how, how few, you know, the numbers had been with 15.7 points per game. But it, it's also when you look at that list of players, it's easy to see why 2012 and 2015 were really good. Even 2014, kind of getting it figured out. Like, yeah, when you look and Terrence Jones, Deron Lamb, and Darius Miller were all on the 2012 team. When you add, you add in Anthony Davis, Marcus Teague, and Michael Gilchrist, just for the hell of it, and then you go <laughs> down to Alex Poitras, Aaron Harrison, and, and Andrew Harrison, and you add that to like that's the thing, like. And they they don't have those guys this year that are just, you know, blowing it up when it comes to scoring 13, 14, 15 points a game. But it's crazy to think how much college basketball has changed in 12 years. I think that's the thing that when you look at it, not just college basketball, but U.K. basketball. And they're at a spot now where 
we've talked about it for the last, what, 30 minutes on here, that every game, doesn't it feel like, though, that every game that they play, it's not the game that's the story anymore. Like, the story's been the same every single time we get on this podcast. We talk about next year. Yeah. Because that's, like, yeah, it's great that they've won two in a row. It, it'll be great for them if they go get a win Saturday, and we'll talk about it. But we're that's the thing that I think we're trying not to get caught up in, is you don't want to ever have to watch what's happening again, again, or have right. what's happening happen again. And I don't think it will ever happen again, is what I'm going to say. Like, will they have years where they're not Final Four contenders? Probably. But I think this is kind of the outlier. I always thought that 2013 was the outlier. <laughs> no, it, it's not. This is going to by far be the outlier. Um, I actually said a long time ago, Derek, that John Calipari would never have another team at Kentucky that would go to the NIT. This team's not going to go to the NIT. No, that, exactly. That's what I was about to say. So uh, I'm technically I'm not wrong, but what I, I was implying that I thought they would make the tournament every other year that he'd be here. I just – but they're going to have a chance if the SEC tournament's played. Do you think that that tournament's getting played? Yes. I do, too. 100%. I, I do, too. So now what does it become? Is it become just you can't get hit with the COVID bug, right? Like you can't get hit with, with COVID in your program? I think – people don't have to look at it the way I do. I I still just think it's a lost year. Not, not – it is a lost year in terms of everything at UK is so like kids like BJ Boston, things are a lot harder on them because you know, you've got a limited time for them to be here. And when it doesn't always feel like you're building towards something, it puts a lot of pressure on your team to be very good every single year. And Cal is, I mean, he's tightrope that almost every year he's been here. He's, he's put out a team that more years than not, at some point you at least felt like they were in the, in the conversation to be a Final Four team. So to me, that's where it's lost this year regardless, because even, like, it would be great for those kids and their morale if they ran through the SEC tournament and won, because it would change the narrative on them. I think you would have a lot of people very proud of them. They're not going to get into the like, – under no, under no scenarios this year's team going to contend for a national title. And no. if that's the goal here – uh, to, to me, actually, the goal should be Final Fours because in a single elimination tournament, winning titles is very, very, very difficult. So I don't. And if you get if to the, the kind four, of thing, you're in the conversation to win a title. Yeah, if you get to the Final Four, I think it's a, a, a tremendous season, no matter what your program is. I mean, if you're someone who only cares about national titles, well, you're going to be miserable more often than not as a fan because Kentucky is yeah. one of the most successful programs ever, and they've won it eight times the whole time they've, they've been a program. If that's well, all you're putting your value in, then you've only probably in your lifetime celebrated happy on average four times, maybe. Yeah. So, under no circumstances, this year's team going to get to the Final Four. So that's why I still think, I mean, if they win the SEC tournament, we'll talk about it. It'll be a, a big story for that team. It'll be, it'll be cool for those guys to get into the tournament, have a chance to play in it. I don't think their stay will be very long um, in that tournament. And I still think it's it's very important because next year, I think you can at least dream on next year's roster. I mean, at the very least, you can look at it and see, especially in the front court. I mean, there's really no reason if Keon comes back. or I mean, shoot, even with the way that Jacob Toppin's playing, I don't think he would be a, a junior Keon Brooks level. But, like, you wouldn't feel horrible about a front court of – Damian Collins, Oscar Shibway, Jacob Toppin, and Lance Ware. Like, you'd still feel pretty good about that. I mean, Keon probably puts it over the top. So, at the very least, you'll have something proven next year in the front court. Now, like we've talked about, to get to that level that you want them to be at competing for a title, there's I think there's going to be some upgrades in the backcourt, but there's still time to do that. So, at the very least, I think next year's team will be will be interesting at minimum, I'll say a 21 team next year. Uh, I mean, that's still – you could say they're 20 and 10. That's still a tournament team, you would think. Um, I think they might be slightly better than that, but we'll just have to see. But, yeah, for now, if, if you're like Cal and your focus is squarely still on this season, this is probably not the episode for you. Um, but if you're someone who likes to look at the big picture and, and think of maybe some scenarios that could happen, then, you know, that's kind of where I am on it still is I'm just going to be looking at – 
how does ASCII develop? What does Toppin keep doing? Um, what, what, what's meant to decide to do? Kellen Brooks, those are all huge decisions that if you want Kentucky basketball to get back into the picture next year as one of the elite programs, that's like, to me, that's like the bare minimum starting point is you got to get those guys back. Yeah, you do. And, uh, I mean, obviously we've been looking at the future for months on this podcast, and we're still going to look at the present. It's a, it's a win. They're at seven wins now. I think they have a path to get to ten and make some noise in the SEC tournament if they can get a favorable draw. I don't. I think they need to avoid Alabama, and you want to avoid yeah. Tennessee. I think you want to play one of those two in the championship game. I think anybody else, honestly, Derek, I would pick Kentucky probably to win. I would feel confident that they could beat anybody else on Friday, Saturday. Not saying that they couldn't beat one of those teams on Saturday, but you want to play just one of them, in my opinion. And I think there's a possibility that that happens. But uh, I do want to get your thoughts on one thing before we wrap up here. So Jerry Stackhouse was not a fan of the whole peace sign last night, was he? Like, no, no, it was weird, bizarre, right? <laughs> like, he was uh, the whole just threw his hand at it. Like, it like had me googling like if there was some kind of beef from like Cal's time in the NBA that I just didn't know about. It was so strange that. Uh... Yeah, I don't know what to make of it, honestly, because it was so weird. I'm not has, – has anyone kind of clarified what was going on there? No. Um, well, I mean, he, he came out and said that he thought Scottie Pippen Jr. would kind of avenge the loss to Kentucky. Didn't he say something along those lines after the first loss at Rupp Arena? I don't know. It took me by surprise last night on the broadcast that they were talking about Scottie Pippen as a Kentucky recruiting snub because I don't remember Scottie Pippen at all as a recruit, like at all. I didn't know he had uh, a kid. <laughs> well, I thought, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, Scotty Pippen Jr., like, um, I guess I just don't view that as a recruiting snub. Like, if Scotty Pippen Jr. was a recruiting snub, then, like, any kid playing college basketball was a recruiting snub because UK didn't – like, UK only recruits, you know, the elite of the elite. Like, I whatever that kid needs, I guess, to, to have some motivation on the shoulders, like, go for it. I'm, I'm fine with it. It's no big deal. But no, the stack, I mean, Stackhouse is a very competitive guy. Really, up until his time at Vanderbilt, uh, a great basketball career. I mean, John Wall did dunk on him one time. I think when John Wall was in high school or whatever. But you know, and he was still in the NBA or whatever it was, or maybe he was just out of the NBA. But he dresses very nicely. Yeah, he I mean, he he's, he does dress very well, and he's but he's had a tough job. He has a tough job. I don't think Vanderbilt's a horrible job. Matter of fact. For a time with Kevin Stallings, they were actually one of the more consistent SEC programs out there. It's like a, a funky arena. I think at one point for a number of years they were top 25 in attendance. Like it's not a horrible job, but, you know, you still have some different things with academics you've got to recruit to. And he struggled. They've, they've made some strides this year. Um, and he took over a program that was 0-18 in the league. But I don't know what that was about. I don't know if he thought Cal was – holding up too because they beat them twice this year like Cal does not strike Cal is a hall of fame coach uh who has won a national championship and been to a number of final fours at some low programs I, I just do not see him gloating on the sidelines over beating a bad Vanderbilt team twice so I don't think that had anything to do with it I think he was just saying peace I'm out uh and a lot of times Cal says that he doesn't know like what you know he plays dumb uh, honestly I think if you would have told him about the whole peace thing, that if that would have been a problem, I think Cal would have been like, what? You know, like, I actually think it would have been a real genuine, what are you talking about? No, well, his, think, like, reaction to it, Cal just, like, kind of, it's like he didn't even, it's like he just kind of saw Stackhouse motion his arm up, and he just figured he was waving. I'm just sure. Like how I, thought. I would like yeah. to know what he said about it today, like, just in private, like, with people. Like, I'd, I'd like to know what he thinks about it today, because I'm sure he's probably thinking, what the heck, when he looks at that. Yeah, but, uh, there's no way. I, I don't think that they fire Stackhouse after this year. No. I, I don't know if you can fire your football coach and your basketball coach at Vandy all in the same year, uh, especially during COVID-19. That seems kind of like a a bad thing to do, honestly. You could use a couple of solid transfers. I think they got two top 150 recruits or top 200 recruits. Uh, the DSU or however you say his name, I mean, that kid's a, he's a player. Pippen's typically pretty good. Like, you could – they're not going to be contending for the SEC, though, anytime soon. They, they can get out of the cellar, but uh, I don't know if he's going to get them to a point where they're competing for the league title. I mean, it's going to take many years 
to get to that point. Even then, like if the league can keep some of these coaches, I think I think the programs that are trending towards the top right now can stay. I mean, you think about the depth of the coaches. Kentucky should always be good. I know they're not this year, but they should always be very solid to Cal. Rick Barnes has built a pretty solid program. Arkansas, I think, under Musselman could be pretty good. Alabama's shown that they can be very good. And then Auburn. I think Auburn next year with some recruits that might head their way. Like, Auburn's going to be pretty good again, I think, next season. They're down this year, but they can get back to a spot where they're solid. Bruce Pearl's had a lot of success as a college coach. It is not an easy league, and uh, it's tough to break through. certainly much harder than it used to be, I think, going back to when Cal first got to Kentucky. Yeah, the league is – I think the league's in good shape for sure. Uh, We'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. Does Kentucky and Vandy – Will they meet again at any point in the SEC tournament? Looking at the bracket, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, let me see where that's at right now. Vanderbilt's actually playing. They could, I guess, but it would. It would have to take. A, it'd take a either Kentucky climbing to the fifth spot or Vanderbilt going on a run in Nashville. So uh, it's weird looking at the bracket this year with only 13 teams since Auburn can't compete in it. Right. Yeah. So Auburn seasons, they got like four games left, something like that, and they're done. Yeah. Five games, maybe. It is. Uh, we're also done too on here. We're we're finished. We're wrapping this thing up, Derek. Uh, give a shout out to the Butcher's Pub, who with the weather, they've been opening later in the day, so they're actually opening right now. Four o'clock uh, Eastern time is when they're deciding to open their doors today due to the weather. We got quite a bit of snow down here in uh, Bell County last night. So two locations: one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg, and then a third one coming next month. In London, Kentucky. I'm going to text Josh and get an official date so I can start plugging that. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll be back tomorrow for a mailbag episode, so be sure to send in your mailbag questions as we preview Kentucky, Tennessee on Saturday. 